Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good afternoon, Nicole. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Uh, where does this podcast find you? I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, with a little bit of a chill in the air today. Oh, love Minneapolis. My mm-hmm. wife and I went up there a few years ago, and we went up there in the spring, sort of Twin Cities area or whatever, and we're walking around having a great time. And it was downtown Minneapolis, and I, I kept noticing the skyways in between the buildings. And for the first few blocks, I was just silently thinking to myself, I wonder what those... And then it like dawned on me that <laughs> in February, when it's <laughs> minus 700 degrees or whatever... You need you need some place that you're not gonna have frostbite walking out the door, um, yes. and and you're the vice president of customer experience at Engine. Tell me a little bit about um, Engine and your role there. Yes, my role at Engine, I I lead the customer experience practice for our insights division. We have a larger function at Engine as the Engine Group has an insights and a media and advertising exchange as part of our business as well. So within Insights, we have a lot of data analytics, we have brand, we have many industry verticals that we run. And then with our advertising and media services, we're able to connect that with message testing, message development, and even creative work. So really a a nice marriage of the finding out what's going on with the business and then taking it to market as well. Mm. And in your journey to getting where you are, how did you get into CX and what is it you're hoping to accomplish for, I guess, engines customers or engines clients? Yeah. So more holistically, I I want to help make the experience everybody feels better. I think we're all customers and we're all clients in some capacity in our lives. And I started my career in, in, you know, jobs you do, to get through school as a customer service agent. So I was on the phones answering calls, 100 deep in queue. And you know the, the metrics you're measured with were get them off the phone as fast as you can. And I never appreciated that. I never liked that. And I didn't use that in my own practice. Um, as luck would have it, and as my career has evolved, getting into research and going through being on a client side of the world and managing primary data collection and research and insights for large firms um, such as Blue Cross Blue Shield in Minnesota and at Optum Health, getting through that piece of it and then coming to the supplier side, um, eventually landing at Engine here, leading the, the CX practice. So I take a combination of being a client, helping clients and being a customer myself to put together what helps a business progress and what helps customers experience be even better and, and promote their loyalty with organizations. Your point about everybody being kind of a client and a customer um, is is an interesting one. Just the other day, yesterday, I think it was. Yeah, actually it was yesterday. We we're in a meeting, I mean, the rest of the marketing team, we were just discussing, you know, some of our messaging platforms and ideas that we've been using in 2021 and kind of thinking like what needs to be tweaked for 2022. And one of the interesting things that I've been thinking about a lot and was brought up in this conversation is from a customer experience standpoint, 
my world is kind of myopically focused on B2B because capacity is a is a B2B, like we sell to, to the enterprise, not to individuals. But I realize that from a CX perspective, if I think of like the CX I get as a consumer with companies like, I don't know, Apple or Honda or whatever it is, like not only the expectations higher, but in a lot of ways, the actual customer experience is a lot higher than what we see in in B2B and in the enterprise, at least that's been been my experience. And I'm curious from your vantage point, do you see CX in the consumer versus the enterprise side? Do you see those as kind of learning from each other, evolving similarly? Do you see one of those being maybe maybe being, you know, further along than the other? I'm just I'm just curious from your from your sort of catbird seat of of being a VP of CX at um, an agency that has like a window into a large swatch of the market what you're seeing absolutely so business to business relationships have traditionally been focused more on product and less on client or customer experience and so now they're seeing that that is more important and coming to the forefront so a lot of work in our b2b space is helping to optimize that client relationship and understanding things like contracting and the unintended consequences of a change in an operation or in a process that may happen from procurement and the amount of money that can actually translate to to your customers Mm -hmm. and how that's a difficult um, place to be a perspective. One of the things that we've been talking about lately is, and as I think most of the, the nation is talking about, is all the issues with supply chain. And I think, you know, we feel it as consumers, but nobody's feeling it more harshly than those B2B um, companies that are looking for shipments that are coming in. Oh, yeah. And a lot of conversations I have that, you know, not typical things that we think about as general consumers ourselves. Like I wanted to go and buy the newest iPhone and it was out of stock, or I wanted to get a car, but they didn't have the model I wanted, which we're not used to seeing. And we're all kind of getting around that. But with the B2B situation right now, if you have a delay in shipment, you have to have a place to uh, receive these large shipments. So in situations we see where customers will have a day delay, well, the company that you're shipping that to has to incur a day's expense at that warehouse and then an extra day. And they may not have the rental space when your delivery actually comes in. So the planning around that and the amount of wasted income and investment is something they need to think about. And so just different touch points and different aspects of how to manage that client or customer experience in the B2B, but just as important and a lot at stake in terms of budget dollars. Yeah, the 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 knock-on effects of the supply chain disruption are <laughs> candidly kind of frightening, but also intellectually, it's an interesting thing to follow. Um, and you know, you talk about these touch points and you talk about the expectations and this gets into a little bit of the core of, of, of the show. Um, so to take what started as a smooth transition that I'm going to make a little more abrupt here. Um, one thing I always like to ask people early on when, during the conversation is when I say the word support automation, what does that mean to you? Self-service and convenience. Yeah. So that's that's what comes to mind first. Mm-hmm. Self-service and convenience. And and it's interesting because 
self-service technology technology enables a lot of things right like we're able to even think of ideas now that were just like not even in the realm of thought say 50 years ago i always use the example of uber right uber lyft ride sharing in general that's not even a that's not even a figment in someone's imagination until you have cell phones in every pocket and the technology that sort of enables that kind of like fleet tracking and and algorithmic availability sorting and everything that that's something like uber does to exist right mm -hmm. and self-service in a lot of ways is very similar it's not that long ago that the further furthest tip of the spear in in support automation was a um, an automated voice menu when you called your cable company or cell phone company to deal with something right and it's, you're sitting there just like suffering waiting to when is the right time for me to say like speak to an agent or press zero right um but now with chatbots and um some of the decision tree stuff like um you know stonely and those kind of companies do we had their um chief revenue officer on the show not too long ago great great episode shout out to uh shout out to our friends at stonely um you're, you're, you just see more technology being you know able to 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 make something like self-service even possible right and then the convenience factor this is another good thing to touch on because ultimately if you provide customers with convenience you provide them with not only just the joy of being of having a convenient experience but you're also like avoiding more opportunities for them to be inconvenienced which sounds trite but i think it really matters and and if you can present people with enough low friction good in, interactions with your brand the likelihood of them renewing their contract or buying more product from you in the future or recommending you to a friend all that stuff goes up right so when but at the same time there is a um there's a bit of a implementation cost to this and this goes to what you mentioned in the show notes that i thought was very interesting and that is like technology opens up job opportunities rather than eliminating positions because when you talk about automation you know it's it's robots in the factory it's it's you know um, ai doing accounting versus humans all the all, all sort of immediate things that we sort of jump to but it doesn't have to be scary. I would love it if you could maybe talk a little bit about what you meant by technology opening up new job opportunities rather than eliminating positions. Absolutely. So in, in the case that a company is going to do a digital transformation or bring in a new piece of technology, what they should be doing is having an open dialogue with their employees to let them know that their job is not at risk. Um, their expertise and, and their knowledge about what they do and how they perform their job function will be needed in and th what they would like to do and hopefully more companies than not feel this way is to really upskill their employees so that they can have new opportunities and grow and then that keeps them more interested in their job it gives them more opportunity you know internally more self-satisfaction builds morale um, and so then they become an expert at something new and have the opportunity to go out, out throughout the company 
um, you know, a lot of education is done through tuition reimbursement. Sometimes it's in, you know, you're taking the classes, you want to leave that job. In these cases, you can have a, a mentorship track or an internal track that helps you to go out of a situation or, you know, not see something as maybe a dead end or limited. Um, there's a ceiling you hit in your position. So you don't have to leave the company. You can stay within the company and get more experience and exposure through other ways of working. And technology coming in frees up people to do less remote kind of mundane day-to-day tasks and use higher level functioning and and have that in their day-to-day opportunity. Yeah. And there's also those, those day-to-day opportunities to, to initiate sort of higher function work, right? This, this, this is a great, this is a great theme in support automation and one that I like to touch on with every guest we have. There are, both internal and sort of customer facing opportunities for that to be expressed, right? What maybe it's, it's, I don't know, the, the, the questions that do make their way past the chat bot, past the knowledge base and into the, you know, the, uh, on the phone call with an agent, those theoretically should be the thornier issues that require some human intervention, right? On the internal side, maybe it's, um, less time doing r- r- rote, repetitive tasks and more time diving into something a little a little deeper. You know, how do organizations and how would you advise organizations to sort of like identify those aspects of the customer experience that are impactful and like what to tackle first? first with some of that bandwidth that adopting technology opens up. Absolutely. So our process goes from start to finish and looks at what are those key touch points. And we do that through surveying customers. We also look at comments on social media. I always say the more inputs we have, the better the picture is of what's really going on with customer experience. So you're customers are talking about their experience with you. You may not be listening or you may not be plugging into the right customer. So social media, customer service call scrubbing and themes for sentiment is another way to know what's going wrong and what most issues are. Um, Most of the time we can look at that and, and say there's a process issue and diagnose the problem and address that without even having to reach out to the customer base. Um, when we look at overarchingly, what are the most important aspects of the experience? We start with mapping the customer journey to make sure that we have all of those touch points. And then we go out to a select sample of the customers to ask them their performance of the brand on each of those touch points. And then also what they find most important. So we do stated versus derived importance and can look at what people say matters the most to them, but then also how does that um, touch point and the performance on that touch point impact their experience and the overall rating they give the brand. So that's how we get at what's most impactful. And then we couple that with the performance. So when the performance is low and the importance is high, um, stated or derived, we look at that and say, these are the areas that will make your experience better, which we know leads to stronger loyalty. Mm. So those that's how we prioritize what to work on first. Very interesting. In the And this question comes from a a general and real place of curiosity here. In terms of those customer questions and the surveys, I, I assume survey methodologies and stuff that, 
that you all use with customers. In your career, how have you seen automation and maybe AI sort of enter into that realm and like and 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 enable folks such as yourself to get those insights? Is it because it, it, like as far as I know, we don't have AI writing survey questions quite yet necessarily, but um, maybe teasing out insights and data. I'm just curious kind of where where you see the role of automation and AI in the actual feedback gathering process. So software as a service companies are out there and, and doing a lot in CX specifically maybe heard of Medallia or Qualtrics. Oh, yeah. Those those are key market players. We partner with those players and, and put results up on platforms and dashboards and help our clients to use that software. What it does is it allows more time for the insights generation and what do you do with this information now that we have it. So whereas it could have taken three weeks to collect data, have an analyst run tables, and then put together a PowerPoint report, we can collect data right in through the tool. We set up the analytics on the back end of the system so that as the responses come in, they're tabulated and then they populate onto a platform. So we say real-time feedback, it really is real-time feedback. And the advantage that that's presented is that customers, clients can figure out what's going wrong and resolve that. And typically we say between 48 and 72 hours, um, like to even do it in 24, but sometimes the supply demand there is, is hard. So what happens is if you give a, a negative rating, then you're giving permission to get a call back. We have somebody who's scheduled to review all of these negative experiences and do something for the customer because we don't want to leave a bad taste in their mouth. And will proactively address, oh, thank you for telling us. We didn't clean up after ourselves after we serviced your vehicle. Um, why don't you bring the, shop, the car back to the shop? We'll give it a full detailing, you know, no charge. Th those kind of things are supported by the software as a service. Um, it also is uses AI so that we can have open-ended comments. You know, when you say, how likely are you to recommend a service on a scale of zero to 10? you might give a six. What does that mean to you? Usually it's followed with an open-ended question. Why did you give us that rating? Mm -hmm. um, and so can, if you can imagine a transactional survey is every time a customer makes an interaction or a purchase with you, we offer them the chance to take a survey, tell us how it was. And if it was bad, we follow up with them. Well, that can easily multiply to hundreds of thousands of comments that a human cannot sit and read through. So to be able to do the insight piece of things, we have AI with text analytics that will go through and code for themes and sentiment and easily graph that for you. So you can say, of the people that gave a negative rating, here were the things that they were talking about the most. And that right away tells you, this is the area to go after and fix. Um, so it, it allows that insight generation in real time. And as you fix it, you should see those comments going down and, and a corresponding new theme would be emerging. So we say, you have your first tier issues that you take care of, know what the second tier are. Once you've resolved the first tier, they kind of cycle down and they're, now they're satisfied. So they're not a key driver anymore because there's not a problem there. Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point about sentiment, right? Because this is this is something we at capacity look at too is you know one of our one of our um one of our marquee customers is a is a uh big university here in the Midwest that has both a 
decent sized in person, but also a fairly decent sized online contingent. And we do some um, sort of support automation around uh, modeling student behavior and trying to predict dropout and prevent melt as as it's called in in the academic industry when students you know not returning their next semester or whatever and sentiment analysis is interesting because human to human like you and i can have a conversation and i can say you know, I was really looking forward to going to such and such restaurant. Nicole, what do you, on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate it, right? And you would say, oh, I'd give it a pro tip. If you ever ask someone to rate something on a one to 10, say they can't use seven. And <laughs> I've, what, I, what, I, what I find out, that it makes them really sort of decide whether they like it or not, which anyway, as an aside, but but you could give me a number and then you and I can go back and forth and have a conversation and I can get the context to the number and understand that, oh, you know, she said a six, but, you know, that's because she doesn't like certain type of food. And that's what mostly was on the menu. But the other people that were with her liked it. But the service was good, except for maybe the host, all this sort of like nuance in something that doesn't necessarily exist on a, a Likert scale or whatever. But when you have AI kind of look at this, you do potentially bring in the prospect of some sort of bias, right? If the AI is not trained and sort of modeled properly and bias is very important to not have in your survey. So in what do you, my circuitous way of getting to a question here is <laughs> I'm nothing if not on brand. What, what do you guys do? What does Engine do to help customers understand and optimize their CX without introducing bias into the process? So it really is um, in terms of the AI and the text analytics piece of it we come up with a code frame. So humans start the process and it's really, it's based on frequency and, and sentiment is coded with certain phrases. Um, there is an acceptance that 70% accuracy is pretty good, is gold standard-ish. Um, if you hear anybody saying they can get 80% or above in accuracy with, with AI and, and text coding, it, I would be a little hesitant to believe that that's true. Um, what we do is we start with that human coded frame and then we take a look on a continuing basis and refresh because what it doesn't do, set up for a frequency algorithm, is not going to find those nuanced things that you might want to look for in white space. Um, another way that we end up kind of validating our own projects is that we have Engine has Hives, which is a digital online qualitative platform. And I love to use the quantitative with the qualitative to go deeper. So what we'll do is we have, we ask the question in a very neutral way. It's not leading, no bias there. Just tell us what you think, why you think it. And then when we want to go deeper into certain areas, we can have an algorithm set up to tag and invite people that answer our questions in a certain manner that bucket them into different groups. So you can have a promoter in the NPS scale question type example, and you can have a detractor. They rate the same attributes or touch points, but one, it was really poor um, scheduling 
for example, and one had a great time scheduling. They went in to the repair shop and on the first time they brought it in, they got in and out really quickly. It was done great. The other person comes in, it took them three times to reschedule because of certain issues. And this could be the same shop. And it's just, that's how it happened for the one versus the other. So we ask ourselves and our clients ask, what is going on here? Why do we have such high ratings? But then there's still a problem. And you can see the detractors will rate the key items much more negatively than the promoters because that's what's making them detractors. So we go back in and say, what's the root cause? And and then go to find that and address the issues. And it could be a staff member. It could be a process. It could just be, you know, a broken phone system. Um, staffing issues are a huge problem right now with just having enough people to serve the customers. And you're seeing signs, you know, just be patient with us. So we're asking customers to be a little bit more patient and understanding than we had in the past too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but back to your, how do you, how do you write an unbiased survey? You really don't ask leading questions. You have a hypothesis. You ask, um, around questions around that hypothesis. You need to be able to set up, um, for the, you know, in in an academic sense, you need to set up questions that would prove your alternative hypothesis or accept that nothing is really happening than all hypothesis. So we go in with that type of design. We also make sure that we're not burdening our clients, customers. So there's practices around how often you go back to the same well of people and you make sure that there's, you know, within six months, you're not asking the same person, the same questions. That's more in brand type tracking studies in customer experience. If it's a voice of the customer, that's a, a transactional project. And like I said, you can go to McDonald's 20 times in a a month. And every single time you're asked how your experience was, you don't have to answer every time, but it's, it's there for you. A relationship-based survey would not do that. It would take um, a sampling of customers from your organization and ask them at various points along their relationship with you. So think financial services, you take out a mortgage, you probably have a lot of interaction during the time you're doing the application right after you close on your home. And then now you've got about 10, 20, 30 years before <laughs> you really have, you're still in a relationship with that lender, but you're not talking to them as often, but yep. there's ways that they can reach out to you and should be so that they can get repeat business and be helping you. So we help them to foster that strength of relationship in the meantime. So we would be asking, what's your relationship like? What's important to you about servicing your mortgage as you're not actively interacting on a daily or weekly basis. Yeah, and and until there's some sort of once every hundred years black swan event where um, interest rates <laughs> go down to near zero and everyone refinances and, and yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but you bring up a good point, which is you, you have to design and, and saying, you know, you, you know, you've, you've, you've got a master's degree in psychology and you've been doing CX and, and, and all sorts of related stuff for, for a while. So this isn't, you know, wasting my breath saying it to you, but like, you have to design your survey properly. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> thank you for coming on the support automation show. This is the, the nuggets we drop here, but no, kidding, <laughs> aside, kidding aside, um, uh, you, you have to design the thing properly. 
And you also touched this on, on this a little bit when you said that if, you know if a, if a technology provider says that they can measure more than seventy percent, uh, or they say they can measure ninety percent of sentiment accurately, or whatever, that you should you know your your BS meter should should go up. Um, that leads me to another question. I think you're really uniquely suited to provide a lot of guidance for our listeners, being that um, Engine deals with so many. Like you, you just deal with all walks of life, so to speak. But, you know, I know Engine's a big company with a lot of offices, a lot of customers, a lot of clients. Like you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to coming into a situation where people have already implemented technology and it's gone south, or have implemented technology and like has you know they've made your job easy. Little, you know, mm -hmm. they, just, they just haven't recognized it yet. Um, what are some other tips or just things that you would mention are worth keeping in mind for any listeners out there who are evaluating some sort of tool or technology to do surveys or customer sentiment or ESAT or whatever it is? Yeah, the tool is only as good as the person who's programming it. It's really, um, I think about the features on a remote control. <laughs> if you know how to turn it on and turn the volume up, you can turn it on and turn the volume up. But there are so many other things that it can do. I mean, you can watch on sports mode or theater mode and the media behind that. So the more education you have and the right people programming, um, it's really important. So, you know, anybody can get a license to these software packages and write a survey and put it out there. That doesn't mean that they necessarily have the correct skill set to be writing that survey. Um, you ask how you don't introduce bias. You don't ask the leading question. You don't ask the double-barreled question. Um, you know, it, it may seem easy to write a survey. It's really, an, it's an art and a science and it takes psychometricians study the right type of scales. They study the right number of words. You know, there's the magic number of seven plus or minus two is what we can hold in our memory at any given time. Um, if you're doing work with children versus teens versus adults, you know, different reading levels. If you're doing uh, work, considering your population, you're surveying. I do a lot in the healthcare space. If we're working with Medicare, Medicaid, um, certain government programs, we want to make sure that the questions we're asking, the respondent is understanding what we want to get at. So reading level is an important question that we ask ourselves, okay, mm. is, is this survey written at an eighth grade reading level? And for some projects that I've done as a supplier and as um, on the client side myself, it was a mandatory standard that if we surveyed certain populations, the survey was written at an eighth grade reading level, because there are some words that people don't know. They're not going to go and look them up and you're going to get you know garbage in, garbage out. Don't ask the question that you can't get the right answer back from. And just don't make it so complicated. Yeah. Um, but, you know, without that training, you could you could not know those things and be a little dangerous making conclusions and guiding your organization to spend money and resources in areas that your results may not support, even though you believe they do. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Changing gears a little bit here. You know, we had we'd also talked about. um or rather, let me start that over. See, we're, we, we, we each, we've each done one now. So changing gears a little bit, I want to go back to another point that you mentioned in the survey um, slash Calendly link that, that we sent you to set up this interview. 
And one of the things you mentioned was integrating technology in a way that's supported and encouraged by existing employee base and the long-term benefits on customer experience. This is a this is an interesting question because there's there's sort of two parts in it, right? And one is like integrating technology in a way that's supported and encouraged by the employees, but then also keeping in mind the long-term benefits on customer experience. I'd love it if you could sort of double click on that. So the technology can help employees do their job more efficiently and more effectively. And so again, coming back to a healthcare example, if you were a customer service representative working for a health plan, you could have a book that's you know inches thick binder on your shelf with different benefits and different product terms and, and all of the you know acronyms that we use in healthcare. Mm-hmm. There could be four screens literally at these individuals' desks, and they have to go into a certain system that uses you know docs or old old programming language, and then they have another Windows-based program, and they have to navigate all of these different things. It's very hard to do your job and literally make sure that you have months of training to understand where something is. Mm-hmm. You you know we we all went home, and these poor individuals. I remember being a phone rep and you would have pieces of paper with certain codes and certain facts that you learned that you encountered a lot written on the wall. So a lot of knowledge platforms help to bring all of that disparate information together in one place, but that takes some training and some, you know, employee support of that type of effort because they like the paper, they like the binders. I've spent 10 years learning where everything is and I know exactly where the answer to that question is. And now you're going to maximize my efficiency um, in air quotes by putting it all into a new platform that I now have to learn and I was doing just fine. So, you know, there's, there's that to combat and to sell internally, but also in the end, it helps the the client or the customer in this case, it's a health plan member to get an answer more consecutive or consistently. So should they call in and get a different rep the next time who doesn't have the same piece of paper or the same binder or as many years experience dealing with that issue, the knowledge platform has given everybody a level playing field. So it benefits your customer. It makes things easier for that newer representative. It makes the job quicker, hopefully, for the person who's managing five different systems and pulling binders down. If they can just click on three different tabs, um, that call becomes shorter. It saves the organization money and operations and handling time. you know, and and the queue doesn't stay as long. So you're not waiting as a member 15 minutes to get your question answered. You're maybe waiting seven, uh, which would, uh, you know, benefits everybody down the chain, the business, the employee and, and the member or the client. Yeah. And that benefit across the value chain there from client, customer, like just all up and down. Um, that is definitely where when you gain efficiency, from adopting automation technology properly. It's those sort of tertiary and like, you know, a few steps down and a few steps up from from where that interaction's happening that the that the uh, value is really driven. So wrapping wrapping up here before we get to our um, our, our, our legendary quick fire round, um, to, to sort of land the plane here, when you think about support automation and technology and AI and CX and and, 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 and 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 in the customer journey, what do you see as being the next big thing, the next the next important signpost in the future of, of CX? I think that as we get more into what people need 
and what they want. It's, it's something that we need to be innovative. We need to be open to hearing more customer ideas and co-creating. So, you know, the, the, um, customization is kind of goes along with automation in a way. So I was just reading about a Nike store. It's a, it's a pilot project where you can go in and design your own pair of shoes at the mall and you design your shoes. Then you go walk around the mall and 90 minutes later, your custom one of a kind pair of shoes is ready for you. Well, that's really cool. It's really cool. And automation helps that, right? Because they're using technology to design assist their design in the store. It's a great customer experience because they're getting something very personalized and unique. And that's, you know, an enjoyable experience would be the way that they have it set up in a little private booth area in, in the mall, in the store. Um, and then, you you know, it's not a long wait time either. You go home with the shoes that you made. It's not a two-week process. People like to put their own stamp on things. So that I think is going to be more so um, in the B2C space where we see even more self-customization and with tools to automate um, just to help you know, design and, and facilitate that. I, I see that happening um, in the B2B space. A lot of automation is going to be driven by, you know, where can we make the process more efficient? And the more technology that's put in place and the less manual processes there are, you know, the more efficient we can get shipments out. I mean, you, you, everybody gets the Amazon question. Do you want to send this in fewer packages? Of course, for the environment, I do, unless it's, I need it for the birthday party tomorrow. Um, you know, having that opportunity there, but thinking of the, the large shipments and the rental facility that's there, is there a way to self-serve in that situation with not only the warehouse, but with the shipper and where you're ordering from and saying, okay, well, I have, I had to cancel this space because it was delayed a week. Now I have a smaller space. So I want to reduce my order, how I can do that in real time without having to talk to somebody who has to talk to three other people and maybe get a message down to the docs. It's, it's the machine learning part of it to know where the the sources are, what's the size, what can it take? So if I have the technology to tell me, okay, you can now have a smaller space, you can take this many pieces of product versus the the order that you had. So it's it's eliminating the thinking that you need to crunch the numbers yourself. Um, But what I know as the human that's managing all of this is that I need to have the right amount of product in that space. Um, and I can save X amount of dollars for my company by not just waiting another week until I can have the bigger space again. So I can get halfway there. Um, making trade-offs and being flexible is definitely right now with all the fluctuation that we see in the market, something that is going to be critical for customer experience and, and maintaining a strong customer experience. Yeah, I really like that answer because on the on the consumer side, the the sort of bespoke to, to be able to, you know, it's, it's like build a bear for, for tennis shoes, but, <laughs> <Right>. but to like, <laughs> but to, but to be able to have a, a, cause you know, Nike's had their Nike ID program for a while now, but you go on the website, you wait three weeks or whatever, and they finally ship you the shoes. Mm-hmm. This is a much more immediate thing. Like that could be a pretty spectacular experience of like, Hey, I've got this way I want to ex- express my identity. I go to the mall, I go to the, the, the Nike shop and, you know, an hour later, like, boom, they're on my feet and I'm, and I'm experiencing that. That is a extremely high value interaction between brand and consumer there. And then on the B2B side, you're exactly right. Like we're going to get better at dealing with, it's like almost like a rising water level in a tank or something. And every few years we 
we we we can use technology to solve higher and higher order issues, right? And like the downstream effects of customers and all this are, you know, lower prices, better service, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely love it. So wrapping up here with our famous quick fire round, our our Fab Five, our I've I've, I've got to figure out a better brand for our final piece of the uh, <laughs> podcast here, but. At this point, the brand is me awkwardly saying that there is no brand, and maybe maybe that's what makes it memorable. But <laughs> <laughs> what's the book that you most often recommend to people? You know, truly, I, I read a lot of books for customer experience work, but they usually come to market a lot later than they can be helpful. So what I like to do, you know, in, in more of a research fashion, blogs are something that is a good place to go because they're usually about what's going on right now and in the moment. Um, I like customer think for CX has a lot of good discussion by thought leaders. Um, they'll write a piece and then other thought leaders in the space are asked to comment on that. Um, I, I do follow Shep Heikinen, Heiken, um, and his book, the convenience revolution. It has been influential as well. And he talks about removal of friction. Um, you know, really what I think customer experience boils down to is make things easy for people, make them feel valued. And really, if you do your job in a way that respects people, respects their time, you're going to have a satisfied customer experience. Even when something goes wrong, if you come back to it and say it with empathy and kindness, I understand where you're coming from. No way around that. And you know, maybe not no way around that, but the, the, what we can do to mitigate the negative effects are yeah. and, and take that approach. So empathy is, is highly important. It really is. And it's something that I've become acutely aware of its presence and absence the last 18 months in my interactions with people. You mentioned being respectful of time, which as a automation vendor, you know, one of the big... Um, value props we always espouse is, is saving time and, and whatnot. And we have a long running webinar series that we do where yours truly um, speeds through a bunch of productivity hacks. Um, so that leads me to my next rapid fire question is what's the best productivity hack slash tip that you've ever heard that has stuck with you? Uh, the framework that I use is what urgency, importance, and um, <laughs> that kind of matrix. So what's yep. most urgent, what's most important, and when is the deadline? So really, you know, when I'm feeling overwhelmed and what I need to get done, it's okay, what's what's the thing that's due next? <laughs> and mm -hmm. what's the thing that's the most important and prioritizing that way? Um, also figuring out when you have little pockets of time, what you can accomplish on the to-do list versus when you need a longer period of time. So the automation helps with those little pockets. Can I go and, and talk to, you know, can I go read the dashboard right now and get a sense of what's going on versus can I sit down and, and immerse myself in data tables and do analysis? Probably not, but at least I can keep tabs on where things are right now. And when I have an hour, then I can dig into it more deeply. Um, it's a nice way to use technology in, in my space and with the way that our clients use technology is to say, I'm going into a meeting. My boss is going to ask me, what are the three key findings that I need to know about right now? Um, you know, we purposely keep 
a contact with our clients and know when they're having those meetings so that we can support them ahead of that and send an email. Mm. We don't even have to get on the phone. So it's here's oh, what we've great. looked at. Um, so yeah, building in time to the process, automation with, with uh, technology to help support that as well. It's rare that I give a plug for another software company on this show, but I'm going to do it right now. There's a little app you can get called Clockwise. Um, I'm pretty sure it's only Google Calendar. They might they might have Microsoft Outlook O365, whatever they call it. Um, but we use Google here at Capacity. But what Clockwise does is if, if two people... It, it basically looks at your calendar and tries to move your meetings if it can to another spot so that you can maximize the amount of time in between meetings on your calendar, which is great because a lot of times I'll end up with, and I'm sure you, you, you as well, you end up with a day where you have a half hour meeting, let's say, then you have 15 minutes, then another meeting, then you have 30 mm -hmm. minutes and another meeting. And it's like, if that 30 minutes was an hour or two hours, <laughs> I would get so much more done today. Um, mm -hmm. So so shout out to our friends at Clockwise. Um, wrapping us up here, if there is one person in the world of um, customer experience that you could meet for a coffee or a cocktail, depending on the, the time of day and, and whatnot, who would it be? Uh, I would like to sit down with Gene Bliss. So I, coming into customer experience from traditional tracking and work in that nature and seeing what the broad landscape really is and beyond the one voice of the customer bubble, beyond what the software provides us, you know, making that whole package. I think, you know, as, as she's been one of the pioneers in creating the experience piece of customer experience, I'd love to uh, sit down with her and pick her brain. Love it. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. Um, I think we've learned a lot about what really goes into practicing good customer experience. And while we've had a lot of people on this show in sort of the customer support and employee support realms, we haven't really discussed customer experience as much as those other disciplines. So it's been awesome having you. Lots of great insights. Um, for our listeners out there, where can they find you and where can they find out more information about Engine? Absolutely. Thank you, Justin. I've had a great time chatting with you today. Uh, Engine is on the on the web. Um, LinkedIn, Nicole Garber, my profile, uh, easily found there. Um, Bridget can give us some backup too on this, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I think the best way to find us is... <laughs> There you have it. And there you are. Thank you so much um, for, for the conversation. And I will see you guys around. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.